Welcome to Manic Flow Money, a simple approach to looking at the world we live in and what could be affecting our asset saving and retirement choices. Here's what we have today. It's a couple of things. First is the report that was recently released by the Swiss blockchain investment firm CVVC. Second, I will finish with a video with Lynette Zhang and Eric Griffin from ITM Trading. Let's get started. This first article is written by Rachel Wolfson. Because from an enterprise blockchain adoption to the rise of decentralized finance, it seems like the blockchain landscape is constantly evolving in different ways. While impressive, it's important to understand how blockchain is being applied within various industries. In order to highlight blockchain's current global impact, a Swiss blockchain investment firm, CVVC, is releasing a new report together with big four firm Price Waterhouse, Cooper, Switzerland, and Cointelegraph entitled CVVC Global Report H1 Slash 2020. I believe they wrote H1 because this is going to come out twice a year. This is the first half. And the report provides a detailed overview of companies applying blockchain technology across eight different sectors, including art, crypto banking, crypto exchanges, custody providers, market makers, platforms and protocols, token issuance companies, and venture capital. A preview of the report discussing blockchain's impact in the art industry was released in July on the 21st, I believe. The full paper was just released yesterday, September the 14th. Neokalai Rainboy, a reporter and co-author of the Incubation and Ecosystem Manager at CVVC, told Cointelegraph, pardon me, Cointelegraph, that the goal of the new report is to map out the global blockchain ecosystem, outlining the main activities of top organizations in each sector. And I quote, experts are featured in short sections covering trends and future insights. Each sector will also include an event an eventual in-depth online panel discussion hosted by Cointelegraph with experts from each respective industry mentioned, end quote. According to Reinhold, the CVVC Global Report consists of data taken from company sources, crypto exchanges, media reports, and social media. While this is the first report of its kind and why I think it's super important subsequent editions will be published every six months to reveal the most up-to-date trends in industry growth and development featured below in this article are a brief summary of what readers can expect from the report so next section is the growing role in crypto banks and brokers because cryptocurrency companies have started to expand their offerings provide features like interest loans and digital assets you can find that when you do soft staking or staking as such crypto banks and brokerage firms have been playing an important role in driving mainstream adoption into cryptocurrency in order to highlight this the cvvc global report includes an entire section on crypto banks and brokers one of the most interesting insights mentioned 
comes from Matthias Limbach, a co-founder of Signum, which is the digital asset bank. According to Imbach, the regulatory digital asset ecosystem is critical for the development of crypto assets. And I quote, this market is forecast to be worth 24 trillion US dollars by 2027 and has a disruptive potential to reshape the secularization business model in the coming years, end quote. So let's talk about crypto exchanges. Uh, the report also discusses the role of the cryptocurrency exchanges, comparing them to traditional stock exchanges since they're able to buy and sell cryptocurrencies. I, this is how I utilize part of my crypto uh, finance business model. I do some shorting and sometimes some day trading. It's important to note, though, however, that there are many different types of crypto exchanges. Each focuses on different functions. For example, Roger Darwin, uh, Darren, actually, is a board member of the Bitcoin Association in Switzerland and a co-founder of the FinTech chapter of Syntech, which is a business angle organization in Switzerland, explained that the crypto space currently needs a safe place to buy and sell tokens since many crypto assets are categorized as such. And I quote, ideally that place is a jurisdiction that investors associate with stability, prosperity, and financial trustworthiness. It should also be easily accessible to retail and investors as it is to banks and professional investors, end quote. It also moves on to talk about the custodians that are crucial for crypto adoptions. Uh, the services have also been on the rise as regulatory developments are implemented. Regulations are needed so bad. Um, this will give trustworthiness to the liquidity in this market. And fortunately, the announcement from the U.S. Office of the Comptroller and Currency now allows the national chartered banks in the United States to provide custodial services for cryptocurrencies. It's a huge step forward for the custody providers, and it's going to encourage more digital asset firms to apply and become qualified. Um, this next section was talking about liquidity. So market makers drive liquidity. And there's a great quote in here from Anton Golo, uh, who's the founder and CEO of Flow of Technologies, where he says there exists one crucial hurdle that obstructs this future development. The crucial success factor of the digital asset ecosystem is liquidity. And at the moment, we see most tokens are not easily tradable due to the lack of liquidity and the vast potential of decentralized financial systems threatens to wither, end quote. And I will digress for a second. There's some amazing burst in the DeFi market right now. And when you go to find and try to find some of these obscure coins, um, it's, it's challenging because if you're not trading at the right time of the day or you're not ready to trade or ready to buy, you're putting in a limit order and sometimes you're getting to these traditional asset uh, market purchases in a non-traditional market. And so I will say that this is definitely something that, that I've seen growing more but is much more needed to make this a viable trustworthy place. When liquidity starts to really happen, and investors go get ready y'all that's why they're doing this stuff now it's 2020 seven years guys moving on so next section says creating a digital transformation another important element in today's blockchain ecosystem is the platforms and protocols that are being actively developed for example a major development in the blockchain space is the current rise of proof of stake networks 
It's an amazing space because Ethereum 2.0 is coming out. I wanted to finish with this because I think it's a great quote. Uh, it talks about tokenization through various platforms before it finishes with the venture capitalist trends, which I'll skip. But it says, as tokenized assets continue to gain popularity, token insurance or token issuance platforms have become crucial. To put this into perspective, Daniel Rudishauser, who's the CEO of TokenGate, it's a Swiss-based token issuance platform, is convinced that token economies will enable new business models and open participation in a global economy. And I'm going to repeat that. Token economies will enable new business models and open participation in a global economy. Quote, small and medium-sized enterprises cannot participate in the existing capital market. Nowadays, it's quite hard for retail investors to find investment possibilities with a solid performance. The issuance of digital securities is a way to bridge the two and establish financial inclusiveness within a smaller ecosystem, end quote. And what I love about that perspective is when I hear those words being said to myself, by myself, it makes me think of the opportunities for the small guy with an idea that wants to pitch it, that wants to get on a block, that wants to, to let others in a decentralized blockchain format help form an idea, craft this, and get it into a space where there's liquidity and investment and venture capitalists. Blockchain is at the beginning. There's a lot of things that are happening around it, and that's why I wanted to do this front half, back half of this episode. Because this next section, I just want to turn it over to Lynette. Because she's she speaks from the heart. She knows what she's talking about. And in regards to CBDCs, central banks, and what's currently happening with the U.S. dollar. Um, I think she gives a real clear perspective of what it should sound like when people need to understand what's currently going on. And for some of us, some of you, it will feel as if it's been as simple as to click a button on your bank app. Sometime in the future, you will be able to transfer your assets into a digital dollar. We're not there yet, but we're on our way. At this point, I will turn it over to the one and only Lynette Zhang and her partner, Eric Griffin. Again, they're with ITM Trading. No copyright infringement. I'm sharing a little bit of this video. Um, in an economy with FedCoin, UBI, and SPV purchase corporate bonds, what would be the role needed for commercial banks? Wow, actually that's a really good question because up to that point, actually it diminishes the role of the banks, which is the rise of the fintech. Mm -hmm. So that's part of the reason why you've seen large um, banks like JP Morgan, etc., really buying into the fintech 
uh, economy. But yeah, especially with UBI, that gives the central banks direct access. But they needed the banks to promote it. Let's kind of talk this through for a second. Well, I was kind of thinking, because when I read the question, I thought, I also was like, wow, that's a really interesting question. And I kind of thought, I could see them being almost in a more of like the, like the, like the, um, not commercial, but the uh, private, you know, like lending, lending facility, right? So if you need a mortgage, you're not going to go straight to the Fed, right? You're going right. to go, you're going to go to the, you know, Wells Fargo, Chase, something like that. If you need a car loan, the, you know, CDs, that's where the like products and stuff, but, you'd still need a bank for that. Yeah, <laughs> but if you remember, we did a piece, gosh, it's probably been maybe a year or so ago, and you, where we actually asked that question, what was the role? And when we looked at it, what we discovered or what I discovered and, and showed you guys was that the, the banks have the relationship with the clients. The Federal Reserve doesn't. So they need that relationship. So that's their link. But where they would have normally been distributing the Fed policy, that's the piece that's been, that will be diminished with all the advent of that new stuff. So the role of the banks is probably more about relationships. But that's also where you've got, um, you know, your Facebooks, your big tech companies. That's why, you know, <laughs> what we see more is a merger of the bin, the big, the fintech and the big tech companies merging with the banks because, the, and and then giving access to all that information to the Fed, because what the Facebooks of the world have is they have the uh, data and they also have the ability to move you psychologically, right? So what it does is it really takes that perception management piece that was started back with Reagan in the 80s. It really takes that to a whole new level, but they don't have the relationship with the banks. So what the banks actually bring to the table in here is that relationship piece. You know, so you've got the Fed right there that then can control their their policy and how that goes directly to the consumer. It's almost to the public. like a, a customer service face. Yes. To what the the Fed and the central banks are up to. Yes. Yes. And and they've been working on this piece. So um, yeah, I I did one. Do you remember when I did that one? I don't even remember Gosh. what it's called now. Mm -hmm. But I definitely remember that piece because they were, you know, the, the press on it was how separate these two entities are. But when you look deeply, what you saw is how they were coming together because the banks have that relationship. I mean, how long have you been with your bank? My I don't point. Even know. Exactly. So my long. point. How long have you guys been with your bank? Right, it's you don't change. To even try to change. Exactly the point. <clears throat> exactly the point. So I think what we're really seeing, and we are not. I think we are really seeing is a merger between the Fed, who has the printing press, the banks that have the customer relation, and then the big data, all coming together. You know, surveillance economy. So that that's what it is. That the that's, Fed coin thing is the thing that scares me the most. 
I mean, now now you're not even you're not depositing money in the bank, right? Correct. It's just it's just there under the Fed's total control. They can spin it with, you know, hey, you can only spend it on this. You can this is how much time you have to spend it. If you don't, it'll expire. You can control the velocity. They can control the velocity and the um, the amount. Yeah, but let's kind of back up here because this is a really important topic. So I'm really glad that that question came up because it's the the it's actually the Fed now. That's the name of the account, but they're going to be issuing digital dollars, right? So. You know, that's what I've been saying forever. What they do is they keep the name the same right. and then the perception is nothing has changed. And especially when they just make that deposit, right? They push a button, takes no effort, takes no time, takes not, doesn't even take what costs are involved in that, right? And then, you know, you go, wow, there's $1,200 a month or 4000 whatever that number is going to be. And it's easy to spend. The easier it is to take in, the easier it is to spend, the less value it all has. Right? So this is the setup to the hyperinflation. Now, uh, I was listening to CNBC this morning and they were, you know, one of their surveys. When, before you say, because you just said I'm listening to CNBC, we get a lot of people who comment on our channel about you listening to CNBC or like the mainstream media. I've got and, to. Right. I need I, I, to I wanna, know what they're saying. So let's go back and explain okay. that in a minute because people, they're like, why do you listen to that, you know, mainstream media? But oh, I, I, okay. I think it's super important to address that and I don't want to, I'll write that down. We don't want to bypass that. So anyways, you're listening to CNBC. Okay. And, you know, I was listening to their surveys and they, they said that they, they don't anticipate the Fed raising the rates until uh, 2023 or something like that. And they can't raise the rates. So, yeah. And they're even going to allow it to run hotter, inflation to run hotter, which means that they're justifying the beginning of the hyperinflation. Now, a lot of the hyperinflation, you know, I think may have already started and particularly when it comes to food and they can justify it because of the breakdown of the supply chain, et cetera. Right. But, um, you know, we have to understand when they're making this shift, they want to keep things as normal. This is what they say in their documents, which is why I listen to CNBC and read all the IMF stuff, you know, because they want to keep it as normal as possible it's how they do the transition and make no mistake we are already inside of this transition they needed to to move up the timing of the use of you know people like me or people that are used to like like say going into a store and buying something well I'm not going into stores right so you're buying it online that the assumption is, is you're going to get comfortable with it. I'm not comfortable with it. I really don't like it at all because I'm a locavore. I like to buy local and support the community. So I'm not comfortable with it. But all of this is really about speeding up that reset pattern. And we're already in it. It isn't just that last big or three big boom. They reset the currency a thousand times. It is, it's nuanced. It's slow until it's fast, but we're already walking through it. There isn't one little doubt in my mind. Every day is a school day. I hope that sharing this content will help. 
If you've made it this far, please smash the red subscribe button and like this video. And a reminder, I'm a Main Street provider and not a Wall Street advisor.